It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, April 15, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Most of the members of Alaska's Citizen Board that regulates and sets rules for fishing in state waters are up for confirmation by the state legislature this year. As KSTK's Sage Smiley reports, some of the governor's nominees are drawing scrutiny. The Board of Fish has a lot of power over one of Alaska's cornerstone resources, so the composition of the seven-member body and how it balances interests can cause quite a hullabaloo. One ongoing point of contention is geography. Currently, the board has only one coastal member, John uh, Jensen from Petersburg. That's how Speaker Louise Stutes, a Kodiak Republican, speaking at a joint committee meeting last weekend. The other six members are from Anchorage, Willow, Eagle, and Fairbanks. The balance is not acceptable to any community that relies on commercial fishing, one of Alaska's greatest industries. It's not just where they live. It's also how they allocate fish between the often competing interests of commercial subsistence and sport users. Recently, a commercial fishing industry group has organized opposition to current chairwoman Marit Carlson Van Dort. Speaking to lawmakers, Carlson Van Dort defended her record, saying she listens to all sides. I have done all that I know to do to make sure that I have been honest and transparent with the public. Um, Everybody knows that the Board of Fisheries process is um, a very public and very um, involved process. United Fishermen of Alaska, an industry group that represents harvesters and processors, called on the commercial fleet to oppose her. She said earlier today that she's worked hard to broker compromise. I did not see that whatsoever. In fact, it seemed like the opposite of that. One of those was Kodiak fisherman Danielle Ringer. She recalled feeling like Carlson Van Dort came to a recent board of fish meeting with her mind made up already. But it felt like our words were actually lost on her and she appeared sort of bizarrely wholly uninterested in what people were sharing. But others spoke more favorably. Rachel Allen is from the Alaska Peninsula community of Chignik, where Carlson Van Dort has fished. She says Carlson Van Dort puts the health of the fishery first. If Mart has any bias, it's a bias to protect salmon, and I really highly support her, and I hope you will take her. Matsu Republican Representative Kevin McCabe asked Carlson Van Dort whether she would rethink any of her positions in the face of opposition from commercial fishing groups. Are you, would you stand by it? Would you take the same vote today? If it was uh, knowing that the opposition you were going to get from the Kodiak fishermen and UFA and and everybody, uh, uh, it seems like, on the planet, would you still take the same vote to protect the fish? Through the chair, yes, I would. Five nominees were under scrutiny during a marathon six-hour weekend meeting of the Alaska House Resources and Fisheries Committees. Public testimony was limited to 60 people. Two of Governor Mike Dunleavy's nominees have worked for the Pebble Partnership, which seeks a massive open pit mine at the headwaters of Bristol Bay. Carlson Van Dort is one of them. Timothy Gervais of the tiny Yukon town of Ruby called out the other. I regard Abe Williams as a show and a promoter for the Pebble Partnership. He's referring to Anchorage-based Williams' day job as a director of regional affairs for the Pebble Limited Partnership. Williams has defended his stance, pointing out that he's from the Bristol Bay region. I engage with communities that uh, have been closely uh, related to the project. Um, I also have engaged with fishermen over the years and uh, continue to do so uh, right now. 
Um, on top of that, uh, I, I fished uh, in Bristol Bay and have uh, for 39 years and continue to do so alongside uh, three of my boys and will continue to do so until um, my hair is too gray or I can't handle it anymore. Appointed last year when the COVID-19 pandemic shortened the legislative session, Williams has yet to be confirmed by lawmakers. Mackenzie Mitchell, an adjunct at the University of Alaska Fairbanks who has worked as a seasonal guide, is in the same boat. Matsu attorney and former Dunleavy legislative aide John Wood is up for reconsideration this year after having only served since 2019. That's because he joined the board to fill a term after the legislature rejected nominee Carl Johnstone, a former state judge accused of inappropriate behavior while on the board. The only nominee that received no critical comments is a longtime member and former chair of the board. Petersburg's John Jensen is up for another three-year term and will be the Board of Fish's only sitting member from a coastal community. Confirmation of all five nominees remains to be considered by a full floor of the House and Senate. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. A second spate of racist graffiti in less than a week has appeared in the Ketchikan area. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. A green and white swastika drawn across the southbound lane of South Tongass Highway appeared Wednesday morning. The spray-painted anti-Semitic and white supremacist symbol drew widespread condemnation from community members. Hannah Bales was sitting on Rotary Beach with a friend just up the road. She says it's distressing. It feels like a space has been created where people feel comfortable doing that without fully understanding the impact that it has on our community members. She says more people in the community need to better appreciate the power of symbols. When we're comfortable with people driving around town with their Confederate flags or hanging their Confederate flags inside of their businesses that are inside the plaza, it's not a big leap to see swastikas spray painted on the sidewalk. One passerby who said she was of Jewish descent called the graffiti disgusting and hurtful. She didn't want to be identified out of fear of being targeted by white supremacists. A local LGBTQ group condemned the vandalism and imagery. Ketchikan Pride Alliance's Ryan McHale says the community needs to have a serious conversation about its values. Because if we want community members to feel like they can be safe here, especially um, our Jewish community members, our black community members, our queer LGBTQ plus community members, um, how can they feel safe if they're seeing swastikas and racist epithets on walk, walkways and, and roads. The first vandalism appeared over the weekend on a trail and skate park near Schoenbar Middle School, but the latest outbreak was south of city limits. Ketchikan police say they're still investigating the first incident, but the latest graffiti is out of their jurisdiction. Alaska state troopers confirmed that they're investigating, but the agency says they have no suspects or leads. A spokesperson in Anchorage says troopers are working with Ketchikan police to see if the two incidents are connected. Ketchikan police have also yet to publicly identify any suspects. Lieutenant Andy Berenson says the graffiti near the middle school included a social media handle that was misspelled. Well, usually if you look at people that are identifying themselves or signing their handiwork, they generally spell their own name correct. Um, so I think we feel pretty good thinking that that, that person uh, is, is not a suspect. Officials with the State Department of Transportation, which maintains South Tongass Highway, say they plan to use pressure washers on Thursday to remove the paint from the roadway. Police Lieutenant Berenson says his department is taking its investigation seriously. We can't have this stuff become commonplace. It's not okay. And so certainly when you add in the content of it, 
it, it it's it's juvenile uh it's it's all about hate and it's just got no place in our town or, or any town but certainly doesn't belong here anyone with information about either incident can call ketchikan police's anonymous tip line at 225 clue and state troopers can be reached at 225-5118 reporting in ketchikan i'm eric stone the arrival of the trumpeter swans is a signal that spring is here whether or not the weather agrees KHNS's Mike Swayze talked with Klondike Gold Rush National Historical Park biologist Elaine Furbish about the return of the swans. So every spring uh, we have swans passing through Skagway on their way back north to their breeding grounds up in the the boreal uh, areas of Canada and Alaska. And the two species that could come through here are trumpeter swans and tundra swans. And by far the most common species that is seen are the trumpeter swans. Furbish admits the two are exceptionally difficult to distinguish from each other. They're almost the same size. The tundra swans have a tiny yellow coloration on their beaks next to their eyes, slightly different beak structure, and a higher pitched whooping call. The trumpeter swans tend to have a lower-pitched call that sounds a bit like a French horn. The Park Service hosts a waterbird monitoring program that runs most years, though it was paused in 2020. The program will start again at the end of this week to monitor water-related migrating birds that come through Skagway and Dyee. According to Furbish, the trumpeter swans will typically land in Dyee this time of year and briefly feed on vegetation in the Taya River. When the water is at a high level, it's a curious sight to behold. It's called dabbling. They're reaching for the vegetation under the water and they stick their butts up in the air and they look like little white pyramids on the water. The trumpeter swan is the world's largest waterfowl, with adult males typically in the 28-pound range, with some growing in excess of 35 pounds. They are monogamous and breed once a year, with their eggs reaching up to 5 inches in length. The swans aren't expected to stay for long. Furbish says many of the trumpeter swans are headed north to Marsh Lake in the Yukon Territory near Whitehorse for an extended visit. There's a viewing area at the lake called Swan Haven where they tend to congregate by the thousands. But before they head up and over the pass from Dai, they typically wait for favorable weather. A lot of it has to do with the weather. They don't want to fly into a, a gale force headwind any more than we would. And, you know, so they'll wait wait for the good weather before they take up their journey again. Reporting from Skagway, I'm Mike Swayze. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.